Hi, my name is Lena Chang. Today is February 14th, 2020, and I'm here with E. Clement Swan. Calling from North Carolina, and Emma Swan was born and raised in Queens, New York. And this is for the Art Streets, Our Stories project at the Brooklyn Public Library. So could you share us your reflections today on 1619? I think the 1619 project was absolutely amazing. Um, I also love what the Brooklyn Public Library did in, in terms of expanding on it and making it an even larger celebration um, mm -hmm. because there's so much was revealed to me and I've been studying our history, I don't know, for, for decades. Um, and there's so much that we don't know um, mm -hmm. because these, a lot of the stuff was not taught to us and much of which that I know are things that I found out through my own research into uh, the captives um, of the Africans in America. So I absolutely loved the 1619 Project. Oh, that's um, great to hear. Yeah, it was, and that was, is amazing. And I'm still telling people about it uh, who really don't even know about it. So there are so many of so many uh, black and white um, and people of all colors who really aren't even aware of it, even though it got national publicity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I thought I, I I think it's great. I think it needs to have a continuum. Um, mm -hmm. Much of this should be taught to our children in school um, because. Uh, there's so much that we weren't, you know, there's a, there's a book out, there's a book that's been out for, I guess, over 25 years, you know, what they never told us in history class. I mean, I have that book. I'm a collector of um, African-American history. Um, mm -hmm. um, also, I'd like to say that um, in, in terms of that history, uh, I, I was privileged to know my great-grandfather, um, mm -hmm. My great grandfather and my grandfather. Well, I didn't know my grandfather because my 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 um, my grandmother and grandfather divorced um, before I was born, so mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know my grandmother. Um, but um, there are many stories that my mother told us about the things that happened to black people, specifically in the South. Uh, we mm -hmm. had an uncle. He said that disappeared. But that seemed to be the norm um, in many southern states. You know, so many uh, men and women were were killed and or just disappeared mm -hmm. and never seen again. So that was a large right. part of of my seeking out <laughs> seeking out mm -hmm. you know the history. Uh, so yeah, the 1619 project I think opened the eyes of millions of people who weren't even mm -hmm. aware of so many things that have happened to uh, people of color in this country. Um, right. And I, I love the way uh, the New York Times Magazine, how um, how they sorted it out, you know, just mm -hmm. actually talking about, um, you know, uh, the, when you open the first page, it says, we are committing educational malpractice. And that's so right. true because in school, we never learned 
99% of what's in the 1619 project, uh, mm -hmm. which is a travesty for any people not to even know. The only thing we learned about was um, that we began as slaves. Mm -hmm. And that certainly is far from the truth uh, because as we all know that we were great kings and queens, we ruled dynasties and countries, and um, there was we invented so many things that are continuing to be used, um, but that was never taught to us. But mm -hmm. clearly, that was racism is a system. It's not just a practice. It's an entire system um, in this country that continues to this day. So yes, uh, this country has definitely committed educational malpractice because we were taught lies. I mean, even up to uh, not only with people of color, but of course the whole Christopher Columbus, you know, fallacy where he discovered America. You know, there's so many mm -hmm. jokes with comedians about, you know, how can you discover something that's already there? You know, um, here where I live now in Durham, North Carolina, um, Duke owns thousands of acres of land, and I always say they didn't. I'm sure they didn't pay for it; they just took it, and that mm -hmm. was the practice of the colonizers. They would come and they would just take the land, and so we as individuals have to now pay for land that they stole, mm -hmm. um, which again was, you know part of the whole system. Right. Um, if you could change the educational system um, to better educate the students on the past history of enslavement, what kind of um, what kind of education would you hope to see in the future? Well, um, I would certainly use that book um, what they never told you in his mm -hmm. history class, because it has so many facts, and I certainly would use mm -hmm. the 1619 project, um, because that even has more facts and information. Um, I would make mm -hmm. it mandatory that um, students of all races um, get this information, uh, and I would also make it mandatory that within some scope of their going to school, that they take a trip to the African American um, Museum, you know, the National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. Um, because that 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 was amazing. Uh, I, I went there last year for two days, and it was amazing. So yeah, I, I, there would be specific books that. Um, I believe that the students should absolutely, positively, in all educational systems across this country, so they can learn the truth about people of color, as opposed to lies that come out of the mouths of so many people, in, including, um, unfortunately, uh, the President of the United States currently, as I speak. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would do, change the system. And educate the teachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, teachers, so many teachers don't know this. You know, they're given a mm -hmm. curriculum, and they follow the curriculum, and then that's it. Um, so there's so much that 
non-melanated people do not know. And when they find mm -hmm. out, I mean, when I went to the museum with my friends, uh, we went into, we had lunch at the at the cafeteria there, and there was a woman sitting across from us, and she started crying. It was a white woman. She started crying, and she kept saying, "I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I'm so sorry." Mm -hmm. So there are those people, so many, who are ignorant to the truth, and they follow the lies. So I think mm -hmm. once you teach it, then young people will know, because they the children are our future. Mm -hmm. They really are. I mean, changing the minds of older people is harder, because, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing they say is, you know, slavery was, you know, 400 years ago. What's the problem? Why y'all keep talking about it? Well, we keep talking mm -hmm. about it because it may have started 400 years ago, but it is still in place in the mm -hmm. 21st century. You mentioned in the beginning of the interview about the book that you were reading into. Could you tell us a little bit more about the book for the listeners who might not be aware? Okay, well, um, I'm not sure if it's still in print, but it's called mm -hmm. What They Never Told You in history class. It's a pretty big book. I don't know how many pages it is. I'm, I'm sure it's well over um, 250 pages. Um, but actually, I have a signed copy. It was published in 1987. And mm -hmm. I actually have a signed copy from the gentleman that actually uh, produced it. Matter of fact, his, his copy, he has a mm -hmm. copyright of 1983. But I can certainly, you know, get the book for anyone. I mean, and see, because mm -hmm. I, I deal with a with some African American book distributors, so I mm -hmm. could absolutely try to get it for them. So I also want actually want to kind of talk about my childhood growing up. Um, my mom uh, was uh, a fervent believer in education. She she put herself through um, through nursing school, and that's how that's how she and my dad. I said she and my dad divorced when I was young. Um, mm -hmm. But they both were very well educated. My mother used to always sit with us and make sure that we did our homework. And, you know, she, she realized how important education was. Even though she wasn't an activist in terms of the African-American or the civil rights movement, she was an activist in making sure that that her children were not racially discriminated against. I remember an incident when... I was five years old, actually, and we were standing at the bus stop. And this was during the time of, well, of course, Jim Crow was still alive and well. But we were in, I was in, we were in Queens, New York, at the bus stop in Jamaica, Queens, bus terminal in Jamaica, Queens, and this white woman mm -hmm. came up, and she got in front of my mother. Now, this mm -hmm. was clearly a normal practice with non-melanated people who felt that they have white privilege. I remember was a long line of people, and she just went, got directly in front of my mother. And I don't remember what happened to the woman, but I remember my mother looking at her in a very mm -hmm. stern voice saying, get to the back of the line. And mm -hmm. as a baby, as a child, you know, all mm -hmm. I remember is that the woman disappeared. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know where she went. I don't know if she went to the back of the line. But that was a very proud moment for me. Because mm -hmm. even when you're young, you kind of know what's going on around you in the world. And I knew that that was something that you just did not do. You didn't speak to a white person like that. 
So, and that was in the 1950s. So, yeah, so that I, I think that kind of laid the foundation. For, I don't think I know. It laid the foundation for me that if we speak our minds, things happen, positive things happen. Because my mother probably didn't know what the effect it was going to have on me. She just knew that she was not going to tolerate that person, you know, as, as we used to say back in the day, jumping the line, <laughs> jumping the line and getting in front of her. That from that point on, I guess, it, like I said, I um, I've been studying my our African history and the systematic and mental enslavement. I think now there's so much mental enslavement of people of color. It is so normalized now. Um, even though they're not beating us, and you know, and we're you know uh, we're not picking cotton and tobacco and all that kind of thing, but we have mental chains on our, on you know on us, which is even worse because mm-hmm. what that does is set the stage for us still to be. I want to use the word subservient. Uh, mm-hmm for us to not realize our entire potential. Because when you can, for instance, we, you know, the whole country is very much aware of the murdering of men, women, and children in broad daylight mm-hmm. by the police. Now people mm-hmm. always say, well, yeah, but black folks are murdering black folks too. Well, yeah, white folks are murdering white folks as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, hear the stories on the news. I remember when they're living in New York, if someone that was white committed a crime and they were arrested, they would put a coat over their head or something else so you couldn't see their face. Mm-hmm. If someone black was arrested for doing a crime, they just marched them in the full face shown and everything. I always thought that was very peculiar and very interesting uh, until I grew mm-hmm. up and realized that that's, you know, they didn't want people to see that white folks also, you know, committed crimes, but most definitely they mm-hmm. wanted us to see people of color committed crime. So that, that, you know, that was all very systematic. And as a teenager, um, you know, you always have your little group of friends that you hang out with, you know, go to the movies with, go to the store with. And on numerous occasions when me and my young friends, when I was a young teenager, would be walking down, just going to the store, just going to the park or whatever, mm-hmm. police would always stop us and make the guys mm-hmm. get up against the wall and then just pat them down for no reason but mm-hmm. intimidation. So as I said, even though there wasn't so much of the physical brutality, it was still, you know, we, we, we still live in, 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 in mental slavery. I think you touched upon this a little bit before, but what was it like growing up in the 1950s, like in Queens, New York? Like, did you feel that there was was still, like, discrimination towards the African-American community? Did you feel, like, a sense of community within um, your neighborhoods? Like, if people well, watched out for one another? or Yes. I mean, okay, so my story is a little different from most. I wasn't really, mm-hmm. as a child, I was actually, my mother and father, they're from Harlem, we're from Harlem New York. And mm-hmm. then they moved to Queens, um, and I was that's why I was raised. I, I believe they moved to Queens. I was born and raised in Queens. And when my mother and father separated, my mom bought a house in what was called South Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. But 
what people don't realize, it was a very, very integrated community. I mean, we lived in an, actually our entire block, it was Italians. I, I grew up with, mm-hmm. with Italians, okay? Oh, and then there were Polish people there and there were Irish people. So South Jamaica, Queens was a mix of black folk and white folk. And then there was the quote unquote mm-hmm. project, but it wasn't the mm-hmm. project as people see it now. Um, it was low and middle income people, many of which had city jobs. So Mm -hmm. it it was not the projects that we, that we see now. Um, Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of folks looking out for each other, I mean, my best friend was an, a young Italian girl by, by the name of Sandra DePaula. And I've often Mm -hmm. wondered what happened. We used to play in the yard. We had a big, it was a big house. Um, we had fruit trees, we had a pear tree, apple tree, grapevines. I grew a garden as a little girl. I was, I was always very curious as a child. Mm-hmm. I had a garden. I climbed trees. And Sandra DePaula was my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know really what racism was until, um, I mean, I, I felt it. My mother talked about mm-hmm. it. Um in the stores, like let's see, we had Woolworths, and Woolworths didn't have any black employees. And I remember mm-hmm. there being a picket line outside of Woolworths uh, when the civil rights movement movement started. Um, mm-hmm. And once again, uh, yeah, that that I remember. But to answer your question about people looking out, yeah, we had aunties. I mean, my mm-hmm. grandmother's best friend. Uh, we called her auntie, you know, and, and we didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, we thought that she was our aunt until I grew up and found out that she really wasn't our mm-hmm. aunt. You know, people did look out, um, young children did not do the things that young children do now. Um, mm-hmm. We played a lot. We got a lot of fresh air. Children, you know, you, you, can, you can ride for blocks and never see a child anymore <laughs> on the streets mm-hmm. like something out of a sci-fi movie. Right. You know, on the weekends, I mean, on the weekends when we were kids, we, everyone was sitting outside, riding their bicycles, chasing the uh, ice cream trucks. You know, mm-hmm. everyone now has their heads down, holding devices in their hands. But I digress. But, yes, mm-hmm. um, it was definitely community, maybe not so much on the block that I lived or even in the mm-hmm. neighborhood that I lived, but in terms of our relatives, we would go visit my great-grandfather on Sundays, and then we'd go visit, um, alternate between my great-aunt, my great-aunt Catherine, uh, my grandmother's um, sister. My grandmother lived out of town. She she, um, moved from New York to Buffalo, New York. So we didn't didn't see her too often. Um, But, yeah, there was was definitely community... um, people who took care of us because my mother worked no less than 18 hours a day to raise us. I'm, I'm, I marvel at, at my mother's work ethic. Uh, I have the same work ethic now. I, you know, I'm, I'm a serial I'm a entrepreneur and I just work, 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 and I have to make myself stop working. Mm-hmm. But that's what I know. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we were nurtured. We were well, and we were well disciplined. That's why. One thing in black families back then, you you did not talk out of turn. You did not enter a room when adults were speaking. You did not speak when the adults were speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And you said, yes, please. And instead of 
someone calling, you never called an adult by their first name. That was mm-hmm. just something that black community, you just never did. You, you had to say Miss So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think as I grew up in South Jamaica, um, I, I had a, there, was, there were five of us. Uh, I had one brother and three sisters. Um, I now am the eldest living. My brother has passed away, and my eldest sister has passed away, so I have two sisters I'm younger than myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sandra had a brother, uh, Mikey. His name was <laughs> Mikey DePaula. Um And they were good friends, but they got into fights every now and I'll never forget this one time that he and Mikey got into this fight. And Mikey was pretty mm-hmm. bigger than my brother was. And my brother came running in the house, and my mother said, no, you go out there and you fight and you beat him. My mother was very, very uh, 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 stern when it came to being abused or, you know, being called N-word or things like that. She mm-hmm. she did not tolerate that. I'm not saying that that's what Mikey did, but it was a very and, – and my brother went out there. My mother was like, do not come in this house, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And they fought because growing up, one thing we were able to do as children growing up was to get rid of our anxieties. You know, you would mm-hmm. you have your best friend and you would have an argument, and then you say, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, then you just go in the house, and that was the end of it. And then the next day, you played, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or you would throw rocks at each other. But the next day, children now, they kill mm-hmm. each other. There's so much pent-up they have no way to express. They don't play. There's no playtime. Everybody's too serious. But yeah, we um, as African African Americans or Africans in America, as little children, um, yeah, we were very, 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 very well nurtured um, coming up. Um, before we start the interview, you um, briefly mentioned about your um, project. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay. Well, I've um, once again, I believe that the way to freedom for mm-hmm. us as a people of color is economics. Um, right. My philosophy mm-hmm. is that you cannot continue to ask the slave master or the conqueror or the colonizer or whatever you want to call those people who are in control um, to give up their control. People very Mm -hmm. rarely want to give up the throne for anyone. Um, And one of the continuums with us as a people um, is that we continue to ask the rulers who are over us to help us, help us get freedom, help us have civil rights, Help us, you know, this. help us in our schools. But clearly, what do they say, the, the signs of a person insane that can keep doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> gets the same result. <laughs> we, as a people of color, continue asking for our freedom. Now, I'm not saying that maybe eventually it will happen, but mm-hmm. I'm over 65, okay? So mm-hmm. in my, let's say, 60 years of of the knowing. I've seen us march. I've seen us get killed. I've seen us get beat up. Um, 
I, for one, have been stopped by the police more times than I can imagine um, for no particular mm-hmm. reason except probably because I'm a person of color. Um, and unless you have economic, the one thing I realize is that it's the, it's the money. You, you follow the money. And mm-hmm. when we had our Black Wall Street, um, and we've had many, 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 many Black Wall Streets. Um, I'm mm-hmm. actually showing a film here at my place, um, uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma Black Wall right. Street in 1921. Uh, I'm showing. I have that documentary, and I have a space here in North Carolina um, where I uh, do talks on Black history. I do things mainly centered around women of color because mm-hmm. um, women are kind of forgotten when it comes to, to things. But to answer your question, so, yes, I have, I have, I actually have three organizations. I have one that's called the L Room, which is the ladies' room, which is a space mm-hmm. for women to come and relax and de-stress. One mm-hmm. thing about women is, uh, regardless of color, but specifically women of color, uh, is that we work and work and work and work and take care of our families. We worry about everyone else. And we never get a break. Mm-hmm. Um, so the subtitle of the L Room is where every woman gets a mini break. And women now are suffering more from strokes, especially women of color, heart attacks, mm-hmm. and depression, um, and dying now more from that. Mm-hmm. So we need spaces where we can just come and relax and just uh, be able to debrief and de-stress. Mm-hmm. Um, this world now is full of stress. So that's the one thing is the elder. Then mm-hmm. I have, um, it's called uh, Black Wall Street Money, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, now what I've created is a, is a cash system uh, of money that have pictures of us on the money. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, yes, blackwallstreetmoney.com is, is the website. And I think mm-hmm. basically every nation has pictures of themselves on the money. Now, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, during the civil, during the, um, oh, God, I just lost my train of thought. There were back to slavery time. Um, every most slave holding states had money, and their money had pictures of slaves on it. This is I don't know whether you're familiar, whether you're aware of that or not. Um, but they literally put us on money because we were making money for them. Uh, I have exhibit here at, at, at my space um, with some artwork that um, was done by this this black artist, uh, with the actual money and the art that he took mm-hmm. from money. So I've actually created, a, a, let's say, a, a version of money for us to spend with black-owned stores. And I also mm-hmm. have an organization that's called GoFund Blackness, which mm-hmm. is, you know, they have, like, you know, GoFundMe, but ours is GoFund Blackness. Um, mm-hmm. which basically people can donate $5, $10, whatever they want um, to help a business or just 
buy something from the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the business is a link to the GoFund Blackness uh, website. It's GoFundBlackness.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's all about economics. When when we right. when we had our own Black Wall Street, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for instance, it they had over 600 businesses in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They owned airplanes, oil wells, uh, bus companies, schools, and of course churches because Black folk are deep into the uh, Christian religion. Um, over 600. And they mm-hmm. actually loaned money to white people. Uh, but most people, if you know the history of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, mm-hmm. the Klan got angry and disgusted about that. And um, mm-hmm. they burned it down. Um, and, you know, they murdered over 300 people, were murdered. As a matter of fact, uh, last month, um, on NPR, they were talking about how mm-hmm. um, they found the mass grave where they just dumped the bodies. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm showing that film tomorrow here at the L Room. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually coupled with a group that I belong to, um, a group of women. It's Women Dismantling mm-hmm. Racism. So it's women mm-hmm. of all colors are coming to, to watch the film, but then later on in the week we're going to show it, we're going to open it up to the public. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, money, the key is for us to develop our businesses. Um, mm-hmm. Millennial asked me, I guess a couple of months ago, he, he said, Sister Eddie, um, he said, well, why should we do Black Wall Street again? All they're going to do is burn it down. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so they, so it's that's that that's that defeatist mentality. That's that mental slavery where okay, every mm-hmm. time you all do something, we're gonna destroy it. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that should not keep you from continuing to try to progress, to try to build another mm-hmm. black wall, have our own school system, to educate our own children. There's so much mm-hmm. miseducation, which, as I said, is the first thing that they talk about in the New York Times uh, newspaper pullout that they had. You know, education and money. You can have all the black women now are the have more degrees than any other segment of this country are black women. Mm-hmm. We have more degrees than any other segment, but we still don't get paid what we should be getting paid. So I believe in education, um, mm-hmm. but I also believe that if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Uh, sometimes a degree doesn't necessarily mean that you can be a millionaire. Most of the millionaires that started this country or took this country did not go to colleges, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. They did not have their PhDs and their, and their bachelors and all this certification and stuff. Um, they just were shrewd. I'm not going to say smart men. They just were shrewd, mm-hmm. not necessarily smart, but shrewd. And I say shrewd because they took most of what they had and then they sold it back to you. Um, Yeah. Uh, What else do I want to talk about? Oh, yes. I think another problem, and it's not just an African-American problem or a problem of people Mm -hmm. of African descent, is our food system. Our food Mm -hmm. system is poisoned. The foods 
are killing everyone. America is like the most obese country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and African-Americans um, who are put to the back burner, you know, live in food deserts, so they just eat anything and everything. Um, the foods mm-hmm. that are delivered to the little grocery stores or the bodegas or, you know, whatever you want to call the gas stations that have food in them mm-hmm. uh, is subpar food. The foods in the supermarkets are subpar foods, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. You know, you have to read the you have to read the labels. It's like now a lot of products say no fructose corn syrup. Well, that's because a lot of studies are being done now uh, with regard to what fructose corn syrup does. And fructose corn syrup was in anything and everything. Everything you picked up had fructose rather than sugar. It had the chemical. Mm-hmm. So the body does not recognize fructose corn syrup. So what the body doesn't recognize, it turns it into mm-hmm. fat. So all the sugary drinks and things that we have um, and that everyone is consuming uh, is making them fatter. And once again, it's not good for the for the body. I mean, back in the day, I never forget we we had meat markets. I'm really mm-hmm. dating myself. <laughs> we had meat markets where you go to the butcher and the butcher would slice the uh, the, like the bolognese and the salamis, it, it would slice it. And you had chicken markets mm-hmm. where you went and killed the chicken for you right there. And they weren't full of hormones and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, so what I say now is that here in this country, if you live to be 70, then you'll probably live to be 90 and above. Um, mm-hmm. Most people below the age of 60, I cannot tell you the number of deaths for African-Americans um, below the age of 60 that have occurred mm-hmm. in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. Three of my best male friends died at the age, and when they were like in their early 50s, from strokes and heart attacks. Um, and the African-American male friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I have relatives that have had strokes and and so on. And it's pretty much the stress and the food. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So people of color have 10 times more stress because right. at, at the end of the day, if, you're, if, if a white person is driving down the street and they get stopped by a police officer, it's probably because mm-hmm. of something really wrong, like maybe their lights are not on or they got a broken signal mm-hmm. or something and and the cop will stop them and they'll they'll pull over and they have no worries in the world because they have white privilege and they know mm-hmm. they have white privilege okay so he will say you know your lights out or um uh you know your signal's not working whatever and they'll say oh okay you know officer I'll get that fixed and say okay have a nice day now, me, if I'm driving down the street and I look at my rearview mirror and I see a police officer, the entire physiology of my body changes mm-hmm. if I am a person of color. And I will wage that almost every person of color, no matter what age they are, their entire physiology changes when they look in the rearview mirror and they see a police car with their signals, with their lights flashing. 
because that mm-hmm. is amount of stress, once again, that's the mental slavery. And even myself, who's well aware of it, you cannot change when the mind, and the mind says, mm-hmm. oh, my, you know, let me get out of this alive, basically. Right. So the trauma, the daily trauma of walking out of the door as a person of color in this country, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us and be known to us, um, because it is. It's, it's just as soon as you open your door um, mm-hmm. and step outside, well, now you don't even have to open your door because now there's so many incidences of people of color being killed in their own homes. It's just mm-hmm. horrific. Um, so, yeah, you know, even though it's 1619, it continues into the 21st century. So the solution mm-hmm. is, in my mind, is economics, your own police force, your own mm-hmm. school system, um, your own teachers, your own doctors. Um, I spoke with a woman a few months ago who went to med school and going to, was going to med school, I believe it was in Virginia, black, a young, young black woman. And mm-hmm. she said this, uh, I was another one of the shooting incidents that happened somewhere in the country, and one of the white med students said to her, um, repeating what, of course, the police always say, they, they felt threatened, <laughs> which is really a mm-hmm. joke. You have the gun, you have the power, and now you, you're, you're feeling threatened. So she said, mm-hmm. this, this young white med student, this is a black med student, she said, well, I can understand him feeling that way. She said, after all, you know, you're all like, you're the color of the gun. And she said, excuse me? What? Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, and, and, you, and you, you, you all, you do look threatening. So here is a person who's going to be a doctor, okay, mm-hmm. who's going to be attending to people of color more than likely because hospitals mm-hmm. are not segregated and has this mindset. So are you going to put your life in her hands mm-hmm. to make you heal? And the average person won't even know that she's racist. So once again, we need our own practitioners. <laughs> we need people who at least we kind of know are going to take care of us and want us to heal. Um, so that's why I say it's about economics. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really is about economics, you know, uh, because I don't see any other way this, 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 this continual cycle mm-hmm. of begging for and as we see with the current administration, laws can be changed. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. look what's happening. The things that President Obama put into effect and, and presidents before him, a lot of civil rights movements and things for women, um, things for immigrants that were made into law are being overturned mm-hmm. or disputed so that they can be voted and overturned. So mm-hmm. unless you have your own, um, I'm not saying we don't need these laws. Lord knows we do. Then it would be total chaos in this country if we didn't mm-hmm. have them. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's it's really, 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 really about economics. Um, and uh, I, I can't even go into the prison system because the, the prison mm-hmm. system alone, you know, uh, it's just it's horrific. I mean, I would say mm-hmm. what. Eighty percent of the prisoners are are black and brown people in prison. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not a coincidence. <laughs> that's because when 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 uh, a per, uh, a person of color does something and a and a white person does something, uh, the same crime, mm-hmm. we all we already know who's going to spend the night in jail. Um, I had mm-hmm. had a friend friend of a friend, his son went to visit the mother in Florida. And he was hanging out with a group of white boys, this young young African American male, actually who was born and raised in Brooklyn. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the white boys decided they were going to rob this store in mm-hmm. Florida. Well, now the kid that was hanging out with him, he did he was not aware of that that this was going to happen. Okay, they robbed mm-hmm. the store, they drove away, and of course they got caught. And he's in the car with them. Mm-hmm. He went to jail. The, he didn't go into the store. Mm-hmm. He was sitting in the car. He, the black young black man, went to jail. The white boys did not. Mm-hmm. Their parents came. They picked them up. Even the parents told the police. Our son said that I'll just say Johnny for lack of another word. He had mm-hmm. nothing to do with it. The police weren't having it. That young man had to stay in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. Call it. Um, I guess not, I'm not gonna say house arrest, but he could not leave the state for a year because mm-hmm. they wanted to see how he would, would be behaving. So he could not go back to his mother in Brooklyn for a year. He had to stay in mm-hmm. Florida for a year, and of course he had a record and, and all of that. So um, mm-hmm. even when there's advocacy for people of color, um, it's up to the uh, I guess the, the the police or the lawmakers in that particular state um, mm-hmm. to you know um, to make to make change, and they're not going to make change. And once again, um, they they want to sh- the rule of law goes for those who want to, who who enforce the rule of law. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because something is a law does not necessarily mean that it's going to be it's going to be helpful to anybody regardless of you know of, of what color they are so as I say it's back to economics it's back to spending our money we're worth one point we, we our spending capability is 1.2 trillion dollars is our spending capability annually of people of color if we just if we just for once a week bought something from an African American owned business or it's tax time now. So you use a black mm-hmm. account CPA. If you put the money back in your community, um you can help build the community. And as I always say, you can put your you can help a black family send their child to college as opposed mm-hmm. to helping another family. And I'm not against integration at all, but integration mm-hmm. has its place. Um and we need to we need to kind of understand that. I mean, I'm not saying we can be an isolationist. I'm just saying have mm-hmm. our own. Because Brooklyn has so many separate communities. They have Hasidim in Brooklyn. They have their own community. And that Hasidic community in Brooklyn is being guarded by the police, which people mm-hmm. in Brooklyn pay their taxes for. But they, it's almost like they have their own police who patrol that those areas mm-hmm. where the Hasidim live. In Brooklyn, at least that's the way it was before mm-hmm. I left um, um, New York. I've, I've been mm-hmm. in North Carolina for about 15 years, so 
So mm-hmm. it, there's nothing wrong with having your own community. Right. And um, before we end the interview today, is there anything else you would like to share with us? Uh, well, we talked about the food, the poor food that's <laughs> that um, mm-hmm. you know has the food affects your mind and your body and your mm-hmm. spirit. Uh, so to recap, I think we need mm-hmm. to change our educational system. I think we need to understand that the that racism is a system. It's just not something that's being isolated. Mm-hmm. Um. We need to understand that uh, um, so much of pain. I, I, it, 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 it boggles my mind that people can dislike a people because of the color mm-hmm. of the skin, not because they did anything right. to those people. I mean, I had the, I did mm-hmm. nothing to the officer that's stopped me in New York, and, and actually I've been stopped here in North Carolina as well, um, mm-hmm. and actually made to, get, <laughs> made to get out of my car, which was daunting, mm-hmm. and this this happened to me last year. Um, mm-hmm. It was eight, and I was coming back from an, an event at the Cultural Center here in Durham, um, but, uh, and the cop said he smelled alcohol on my breath. I had no alcohol. It was an event at a place mm-hmm. that doesn't was at the cultural center, and mm-hmm. it was because my lights were out. I had rented a car. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had a while. I'm trying to get a car, but that's another story for another time. I rented a car, and and you know, uh, in my past experiences, you know, cars now that I the lights come on automatically or something at night, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. I hadn't. I you know I just got in the rental and thought that the lights, <laughs> and then of course I realized mm-hmm. when I saw lights behind me. I said, oh, my God, I didn't turn mm-hmm. my lights on. So I pulled over, and he pulled over behind me. It was two policemen, all, and there was a young lady in the car who I who comes from Baltimore, and I mentor, I, I mentor her in in business. She's starting her own business. She was in her, she's in her, she's in her 20s. She was in the car with me. And the cop comes up to the car, and, um, of course, I said, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't realize I didn't have my lights on. And they said, we've been following you for a while and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. I gave him my, I gave him my license. Not even I told him it was a car rental, and he said okay. Right. Um, I gave him my license, and he said, "Will you step out of the car?" I said, "Excuse me." I mm-hmm. said, "I've turned my lights on. Why do I have to get out of the car?" He said, "Because right. you look like you've been drinking," <laughs> and I said, "What? Mm-hmm. Drinking?" I said, "No, I haven't. And the only thing I had at the at the event was lemonade." Okay, that mm-hmm. was all I had with lemonade. He, he, I, I said, does my breath smell like I've been drinking? And he said, I don't mm-hmm. know. My sinuses are bothering me tonight. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. man made me get out of the car. I was under a bridge. It was dark. He made me get out of the car. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I said, you know what? I have this young lady in the car. Let me just do everything that this officer tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got out of the car. And I said, are you going to make me walk a line or something? He said, no. And he pulled out this little blue light, something. Some, they had this, some kind of light that they had, you know, that they shine in your eyes, and you have to follow the light. Mm-hmm. So, and, but you have to keep your head still. Only your eyes can move, <laughs> move back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, 
how do you know if I'm drunk from my eyes? He said, we can tell if you twitch. And he kept saying, mm-hmm. hold your head. So I realized what this was. This was once again him exercising his white privilege and showing the young person in the car that he can control mm-hmm. me. I didn't like mm-hmm. it, but I did it. And then I got mm-hmm. back in the car after I passed this little silly test that he had me do. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, oh, gave me back my my uh, my license. And he just, he it was two cops, one standing on the side with a young lady on the, on the passenger side, and then there was him on the other mm-hmm. side. Um, so, I mean, I realized what it was. Once again, it was white privilege, you know. And I mentioned mm-hmm. the story to my women dismantling racism group because we meet once a month. And mm-hmm. the white one in the group said, she said, you know what, uh, Sister Eddie? Um, she said, I'm a white woman, and I can tell you right now what he would have done. He would have mm-hmm. come up to the car. He he probably wouldn't have even asked me for my license, she said. But if he did, mm-hmm. he would take it. He'd give it back to me, and he would say, okay, you know, get that, get you know, just make sure your lights are on the next time and have a nice day. Mm-hmm. She said he would, he would not have done any of that to me because I am a white woman. Mm-hmm. So... That's why, once again, I say that we need our own communities with our own policing and so on and so forth. So my final words is that mm-hmm. I suggest that everyone read the Willie Lynch speech on how to make a slave. Mm-hmm. Now, the Willie Lynch speech was a speech um, that this man made in Virginia um, during the slavery time to slaveholders. And he outlines everything that they should do to, to make us continue to be their slaves and continue to fear them. And he said, if you do this, I guarantee you that they will be your slaves for 300 years or more. And Mm -hmm. some people say this was a fallacy. Some people say that it is not. But irregardless of what it is, we are still mental slaves of the slaveholders. So, Pretty much, if they if you read the Willie Lynch speech, it really outlines exactly what's happening today, um, which is mm-hmm. which is very sad. Uh, but um, yeah, it's 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 very 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 sad. But uh, mm-hmm. we we have to know our history. Um, I've mm-hmm. I've been to Africa. Uh, I marched during the Poor People's March um, in the '60s. Uh, right after Dr. King got assassinated, um, mm-hmm. I was participated in the Black Panther movement, of, of the breakfast program that they had in South Jamaica, New York. I've done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've really been a pur- purveyor of just knowing who I am. Um, mm-hmm. I have two daughters who I'm very proud of. Um, they have, they're not, they're nowhere near like their mother. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, they're in corporate America and doing well. Uh, mm-hmm. But they both have African names. Um, I made sure of that um, and mm-hmm. did their fault. So um, I'm very proud to be of African descent because I know who I am. So many mm-hmm. of us don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that's my... Um, that's that's my story, um, but I do want to give a plug to another organization called Song. It's Southerners on New Ground, 
and mm-hmm. it's a group of women who have who bail out um, black women out of jail. They have a program where they literally pay mm-hmm. bail to get black women out of jail because the money bail system in this country is horrendous. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the reason people stay in jail um, is because they can't afford the $500 or the $200 or, or whatever it is bond, um, and it just goes up. So the uh, the one of the executives of Song, Southerners on New Ground, mm-hmm. Um, she had an idea two years ago, which was amazing. She said, why don't we start raising money to on Mother's Day to bail black women out of jail? It's called Black Mama's Bailout. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that program, it, it, it's gone nationwide. It was even mentioned, mentioned of it in Oprah's magazine. She, she, uh, the, mm-hmm. the one the sister, whose her name was Mary Hooks, she, she mm-hmm. uh whose idea it was, to me, she's the modern-day Harriet Tubman because Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman freed the slaves, as we all know. She, you know, if you saw the movie, which was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the same kind of thing like Harriet Tubman, but what she's doing is she's freeing black women from jail by paying their bonds, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and this is something, and after she thought, I said, why did we think of this before? You know, we complain a lot about the prison system, which is awful, um, but it's just baby steps. And mm-hmm. because of her idea, one person was an amazing idea to change things. And she had this idea. We initiated it. Um, they did it in Atlanta and, and North Carolina, I believe in Tennessee, the places where Song uh, has branches of the mm-hmm. social justice movement. And we have been able to get out hundreds of women now in the past three years to, to bail them out of jail. There was one woman who was in jail here in Durham because she owned she she owed alimony. Her husband, <laughs> he was mm-hmm. you know I, I guess they lock you up when you don't pay child support. So clearly she probably made more money than him. So she went to jail mm-hmm. for that. And she did not have the money. I, I forget what some it was just a few hundred dollars. But, you know, we're mm-hmm. all like, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars away from poverty. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. everybody, but most people who go to mm-hmm. jail. And it astounded me that this money bail system is really just to keep people in jail. Um, mm-hmm. And they're building jails and, and, and tearing down schools. I heard the other day that in Philadelphia they are tearing down, I forget, 10 schools or something, and they're building a, a, a mm-hmm. multi million Prison? I'm like, what? So you're tearing down mm. the school and you're building prisons. Okay, I'm done. Do you have any other questions for me? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. Um, no, thank you so much for, like, sharing um, your story and not just your story, but, like, all of the, like, inspiring organizations that you founded and are a part of. Um, yeah, just thank you for sharing that with us. Um, well, you're welcome, and I and I think the the thing for young people to understand, um, mm-hmm. especially with all the technology, um, not everything, of course, on the internet is truthful, but you have it in the palm of your hand. You can look up anything and everything, and you can dispute it. 
Um, it's not like back in the day where we had to go to the library. I love libraries, and I think it's amazing that libraries still exist, that people still go to libraries. They thought it was going to be the end of <laughs> once they and once everything got once you started googling it, no one was going to read books anymore. People still, thank God, read mm-hmm. books. But a lot of these social justice organizations are being run by millennials. Many of mm-hmm. them were founded um, by people who are now, as like myself, baby boomers. But mm-hmm. I am so proud of all the young millennials that I work with in these social justice organizations. Now, to those who say, you know, we're not going to march anymore, and as a matter of fact, I heard a young lady, there was a a panel discussion, and this young millennial said, I'm tired of hearing these old people talk about how they died for us. I was astounded. Mm -hmm. This is a young, actually very well-known in the entertainment industry, young black woman saying she's tired of hearing about how Mm -hmm. we died. For her, <laughs> not realizing that just the very stage, I think they were in Atlanta, the very stage that she was sitting on 50 to 100 years ago, she probably was, wouldn't even be allowed in that part of town. So mm-hmm. to diminish, and young people keep doing this, you know, we're not going to win, you, you all march, we're not going to march like you marched. So don't march, but do something else. Because there is a continuum, mm-hmm. and you will be old enough when you'll have your children. And then, or a son, or a black son, or a daughter, and then you will worry yourself about will they come mm-hmm. home tonight. So right. that's my to young people: is um, don't be angry at us. Be glad that we did mm-hmm. what we did, so that you can be here and you can go to the different restaurants and you can mm-hmm. call Uber and have enough money to pay mm-hmm. for it. And you, you know, and you're making six-figure salaries. Um, don't think mm-hmm. just because you six-figure salary um, mm-hmm. that you're better than anyone else. I mean, Oprah proved that when she went to that jewelry store in Manhattan, and all they saw was a black woman. They wouldn't let her in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Or when mm-hmm. she went to buy the bag, she was in Europe someplace, and went to this big designer store. I forget what it was. And they treated mm-hmm. her like dirt because they thought she couldn't afford it because all they saw was standing in right. front of them was this black woman. So mm-hmm. it's a continuum, young people. I love, I love my people so much. You have no idea. We've been through a lot. We're gonna go through more. But through economics mm-hmm. and through supporting each other, we're we're gonna we're gonna beat this. Well, thank you so much for like everything that you shared with us um, and. Um, oh, and could you also share us where, like, we can find the organizations you talked about, like the Ladies Room, GoFund Blackness? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Well, okay, so it's it's the the lroom.org.org. That's a website. I have the GoFund, which is a brand new uh, site. We're working on it. It's GoFundBlackness.org. Mm-hmm. Dot mm-hmm. yeah, go fund blackness. It's really about supporting and investing in African American owned businesses. Mm-hmm. 